Yes, listeners, we're going to be talking to Ben Parsons um, about his uh, wines. Um, the company name is The Ordinary Fella, which seems to be kind of an odd name, Ben. Could you just explain why it's called that? Yeah, sure. Um when I was a kid in England, I used to go to a pub in the county of Kent called The Ordinary Fellow with my dad. And um, when I was looking for a name for the winery, I, I thought it was uh, appropriate because I had many fond memories of it as a comfortable place to go and en- enjoy a drink after work and put the world to rights and, and then go home for dinner. So, yeah, that's where the name came from. Now, right. t- t- tell me the location again. I didn't didn't quite catch up. Kent. What, yeah, in Kent, Kent, in southeast England. Yeah. Sure. I I I I believe that my my uncle Jack was a was a man of Kent, as opposed uh-huh. to a Kent as opposed to a Kentish man, and some somehow they're considered different. I think it depends on what side of the river Med you were born but I can never right, remember right. which is which <laughs> but, but you but, but, but how did you get here I mean it's, it's not it's not exactly just around the corner to go to go from Kent to the western slopes of Colorado yeah um, it's a good question um, I kind of was introduced to the wine industry working for a, a wine merchant in central London called Layton's uh, which was uh, like a Bordeaux Burgundy specialist, sure. um, uh, and uh, yeah, where um, can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, he used to head up Christie's auction house. He, that's where he got his um, start. But uh, yeah, was selling very expensive wines. Kind of got me interested in it, and um, decided to go to New Zealand and kind of do a harvest just to see uh, if it was, you know, interesting to me. And um, it was. And and then I was like, well, I need to. I need to do this more seriously, and so I um, applied to the University of Adelaide in South Australia to do a graduate oh. degree in enology, and um, yeah, and got a place on that course, and was lucky enough to get a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship that paid for my entire tuition. So, oh, great! In South Australia, and studied enology. Now you were in Australia by this time. You 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 had shaken. New Zealand off and, and and gone to the Big Island. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was really uh, it was really just to, to study, you know, enology and um, and after I graduated, I then worked um, in Northern Victoria for a few harvests um, before. Go ahead, sorry. No, go ahead. We 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 lived in Victoria in Geelong. Oh yeah, so I was um, in Wangaratta, like go. so yeah, really near um, you know the Pyrenees, the Australian Pyrenees, and sure, um, sure. and Beechworth and places like that. And sure. uh, yeah, I was working for uh, Bailey's of Glen Rowan, which was the oldest winery in the area. It was a Foster's owned winery at that time. Okay. Uh, making like really just Syrah, Shiraz, I suppose, from like a hundred and five year old vines and. Um, yeah, it was it was a it was a good experience, and when I finished that, I was looking for a 
northern hemisphere harvest placement and I saw a job advertised for a winemaker in Palisade, Colorado. You I said, didn't well, even well, know I should, go, I should go there, right? Now, did, yeah, I mean... Uh, did you happen, by the way, right in, Colorado. In, your, in your travels, did you come across a Dr. Andrew Piri? The, the name rings a bell. He's, um, he's sort of, he, pretty I, much fa- he pretty much founded modern winemaking in Australia. And, and, okay. And, and, he, and he had a doctorate from the New South Wales version of the wine school that you went to. Okay. It was, um, yeah, we had some really, like, high-profile lecturers when I was there. It was, like, right, Patrick right. Island, Peter Dry, Andrew Marchides, all these, like, kind of legends. Uh, like, Saki Pretorius was still the head of the Australian Wine Research Institute. So, yeah, it was, it was a really good um, group of lecturers and professors. Yeah, it was great. Now, what's, what's the infinite monkey theor- theor- theorem? <laughs> uh, well, that was a winery I started in 2008, an urban winery in Denver on the Front Range. Okay. Uh, but essentially, yeah, the, the infinite monkey theorem is an old um, mathematical theory that states if you sell a monkey at a typewriter and it had an infinite amount of time, it would oh, be okay, that one, Shakespeare. Okay. Mm-hmm. There you go, okay. But let, let, let's face it, the western slopes of Colorado are a bit of a funny place to be growing wine grapes and making wine. How, how, how did you come up with that crazy notion? Well, um, you know, there's, there's been a wine industry in Colorado, um, you know, for a while, like pre-Prohibition, it was one of the larger grape-growing states. I never and knew then that. the vines, yeah, the vines were ripped out. And then in the 60s, a Croatian family started to come in and, and replant um, the Ivanches. And they actually hired quite a famous winemaker from, uh, away from Robert Mondavi in the 60s called Warren Ranowski. And he moved to Denver for a couple of years to make wine before he started Stag Leap. So... Yeah, there is some history here, and um, oh, sure, yeah, sure. you would think, yeah, Colorado, of course, you know, high elevation, viticulture, the the vineyards kind of range anywhere from 4,400 feet to 6,800 feet, and it's all concentrated on the western side of the state. There's two vitico- American viticultural areas. One is... Um, the Grand Valley, which lies just 12 miles east of the town of Grand Junction. Um, and it's like a very fertile river valley with the Colorado River running through it and then protected on both sides by these kind of towering uh, Bookcliff mountain range on the north side. And then on the south side, there's a, there's a mesa called East Orchard Mesa. Um, but yeah, that's, it's, a, it's a very small AVA. And then further south, there's another ABA called the West Elks, which kind of encompasses Hodgkiss and Paonia, which is higher elevation. Uh, but then I actually grow my grapes in an area that does not have an ABA, and that's in Cortez, which is in southwest Colorado, right next to like Mesa Verde, um, where all the kind of ancestral Pueblan ruins are dating back 
you know, between the 10th and 12th century. But you, you really are a pioneer in, in that, that developing the, this new wine region, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I think so. When I first moved here in 2001, there were 36 wineries, and, and today there's 165-plus wineries. Wow. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I kind of had a, a part in, you know, trying to put the Colorado wine industry on, on the map, and we're, we're making some, some really pretty unique, um, high-quality wines here in the Grand Valley. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. It's kind of cool to be on the frontier um, sure. where it's very marginal. You know, we, we, we can suffer from very late spring frosts and early fall freezes. Um, yeah, you had to make a lot yeah. of adjustments, huh, in terms of your, sure. your procedures and growing grapes there. Yeah, very much so. I mean... Um, there's even a little trend right now to start planting more kind of American hybrids, um, which are more, you, you know, can kind of weather the the winter and um, are less susceptible to those freezes. Um, there's one kind of school of winemakers that lies in that camp. Uh, I I don't lie in that camp. I I grow all vinifera grape varietals that. Um, that also just so happen to be planted on their own roots. There's no, I don't have any grafted vines uh, at my vineyard, which is um, just 14 acres of Riesling, Chardonnay, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, has, has your area been affected at all by the catastrophes that have struck California winemakers? Either, yeah, I either, mean, either, either too much or too little water, and, for sh- and for sure forest, we, forest we fires for just water. for fun. Go ahead. We, you know, we definitely struggle with water, just like um, you know, just like most of the West. Uh, we are growing kind of almost in a desert, so we we do have to um, drip irrigate. We we don't dry farm. Um, we do have fairly senior water rights in the Grand Valley um, from the Colorado River, uh, okay. like the, 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 the most senior that there could be, actually, <laughs> uh, the cameo. For, 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 yeah. the benefit, for the benefit of our listeners, listeners who, do, who don't know what you just said, talk, talk a little bit about water rights and the fact that you, you have, shall we say, re- really good ones. Yeah, in uh, western Colorado, you know, fairly close right to the source of the Colorado River, um, water rights were established really uh, on, like, who, who was first to claim them in many right. ways. And so um, there is a dam uh, called the Cameo Dam um, uh, just up a canyon up the road from where I am right now, uh, and it's called the Cameo Cool and that's where a system of canals was developed called the Highline Canal. And um, these are like, I think, the second most senior water rights on the entire Colorado River. It's the only reason there is uh, any viticulture in the valley. And, and also this is, is well known for like a peach growing area, um, like growing like fantastic peaches, the best in the country, for sure, I would say. 
Now, now you you have you took advantage of that by when you were looking for a space to make wine in, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, Palisade has maybe thirty-five wineries, and there's definitely a well-developed uh, like tourist trail where people come and stay in, you know, um, uh, renovated old uh, motels, which are quite cool, or, or Airbnbs, and they, they bike around, uh, you know, the, the wine trails and, and see, like, the beauty of, um, you know, the, kind of the desert landscape of, of western Colorado and hit up the wineries en route. And it's about a, it's about a four-hour drive from Denver uh, on the front range along I-70 to Palisade and then Grand Junction, which is the closest large city to us. Oh, okay. Can you characterize uh, some of um, the the differences um, and kind of wines you produce? What is distinctive about the wines coming out of your region? Well, I think what's unique about, about most Colorado wines um, you know, in general, between the regions, is, is you have these these large, like diurnal temperature s- swings that come with being at elevation. And so, where my vineyards are in Cortez, I can I can be at like 90 degrees in the day, but 50 degrees at night, like even in August. And so that when you have that massive massive diurnal temperature shift, it really gives the vine a chance to kind of rest and, and you can retain a lot more like natural acidity in the grapes as they ripen. Oh, and I so, didn't know that. Yeah, so we're not having to, you know, with proper farming, we're not having to make large like acid additions to, to juice or, or must post-harvest. <laughs> so, so that's nice. Um, it makes for, I, I think, like very well balanced wines which are well integrated um, and we're not having to pick when the fruit is you know overly kind of sugar ripe I would say so we're not having to kind of adjust make too many adjustments to what comes in from the vineyard well that's interesting. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make you I'm gonna take a moment to make you a little jealous, I think. Because Anne and Peter get to go lots of places. There was a wine there was a winemaker in the Adelaide Hills his name mm-hmm. I have forgotten. But I think it was Petaluma or something like that. Uh huh. But 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 we but our Peter Compli was when we had lunch at the at the Grange property. <laughs> at the Penfold oh, yeah. property, we, we 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 had lunch, and I, uh, during the course of starting up with lunch, I t- turned to our host, who was the manager of the establishment, and I said, "Mrs. Hager's never tasted Grange." <laughs> and, 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 and he he got he got on that real quickly and said, "She, she will she will have now." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a, a treat. And, he went, and, he, and he, he went off to his office to retrieve a bottle of ten-year-old Grange. It was <laughs> it was locked up. I mean, <laughs> and, and he didn't leave us with the bottle. I might add. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. 
it was it was a good, it was a good lunch. You probably you probably know exactly where the where the vineyard is that I'm talking about. It's just uh, just on yeah, the edge of the just on the edge of of the city. Yeah, maybe it was Peter Gago, uh, the, the the winemaker at that time. But yeah, I mean, fantastic, fantastic wines. I I got to try a few at a at a trade tasting uh, earlier in the year, which was nice. Right, right. You you uh, and did did you ever taste any of the ghost vintages? No, I don't believe so. Um, uh, Unfortunately, not no. <laughs> just, just for just for our listeners' benefiting, in case in case they haven't uh, dealt with wine law of Australia all as much as we have, there was a, a winemaker associated with with the Penfolds brand, and uh, he decided that he he would be able to make. Burgundy-style wines in Australia, which people had thought until then was crazy. Mm. But but the but the winemaker con- he he continued to make wine even even though the family Penfolds had said no, you can't do that. But the bo- the bottles that resulted from that are the ones called the Ghost Grange because mm-hmm. they because they they they. they they made some and they drank some and they kept some just to show the world what Australian Burgundy wines could be like. Now, um, when you're marketing your wines, since they are different, what do you use to sell them? I mean, to, to, to get people to want to, to have them. What, what are the characteristics that you are you think are important, the differences that you think are important about the wines that you make? Yeah, I think, um, I think it really depends on, on the winemaker to a great extent, but, but my wines are definitely, I would say, like fairly minimal intervention, um, you know, really just letting the fruit from the vineyard talk, um, they're, they're certainly like well balanced. I would say they're more old world in style. Like my my rosé of Pinot Noir, for instance, is only 11.2 percent alcohol, which is nice, uh-huh. with, with a pH of like 3.1 and a TA of like eight and a half. So like fantastic acidity, like well balanced, but not like overtly alcoholic, which is nice. And even my Pinot Noir is like only 12.6 percent. Um, which is nice, you know, it's more Burgundian in style than like Willamette Pinot for sure. Um, and they definitely do speak to a sense of place and they, um, you know, I have a Cabernet Sauvignon, nothing like a Napa Cab, thankfully, and I, I don't use new barrels and I only use like eight or nine-year-old barrels. And uh, my Chardonnay, as an example, I, I, I made like a zero SO2 edition for, for nine months as it was kept on its yeast lees instead every two weeks and then just a very small SO2 edition like pre-bottling um, so I mean I think the wines are very elegant and and um, are pretty like well-balanced wines between acid and fruit and tannin and alcohol and and when I'm 
you know, kind of my strategy, like to to spread the brand, is is still definitely much built on uh, getting the best restaurants in the state to to carry the product and pour them Got by it. the glass and introduce them to to you know the best people. And 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 just as an example, uh, two restaurants that carry my wines were just awarded Michelin stars last Thursday in oh, Denver, uh, Bruto and the Wolf's Taylor and. And there's there's many more uh, beside that that, that carried a wine like um, there's a great wine bar called Sunday Vinyl that um, was opened by Bobby Stuckey who's a master sommelier and they put my Pinot Noir on it was the first Colorado wine they ever put on their wine list so just you know to have the the backing of of uh, an engaged you know sommelier who who picks wine for a restaurant who could literally choose from thousands and thousands of different wines to place but they've chose mine and. And then to get the backing of the uh, of the the wait staff and have them excited about it um, and engaged in it, it's it's that product that they're more excited to sell uh, at the end of the day. And and so that's kind of the has always been the, the strategy at least to start with when yeah. launching a brand. Yeah, uh, um, drinking and, your wines. It occurred to me that it was really it's a, a sommelier's dream wine kind of, you know. I, mean, it's, it's I think so too. Yeah. Now you have a you have a interestingly enough, you have a you have a sparkling wine too, which is kind of unusual for a small operator, I guess. Yeah, and that's all done by hand, so that's as geeky as it gets. You know, that's like <laughs> single vineyard, single varietal. Uh, you know, tirage, bottling, put down in like old peach bins for anywhere from a year to three years and and then it's like hand riddled over 29 days and then hand discord like literally by putting like a, a thumb over the end of it you know after the yeast <laughs> plug is shot out and, and then like uh i i actually there's a, there's a zero dosage um uh sparkling wines that that i make i don't make any uh, additional kind of sweetener or anything like that yeah, well, I mean, the, the, the other thing about them is, I mean, I feel like um, they're so clean, you could drink them forever. <laughs> I don't know how, <laughs> I mean, they really are. So, um, yeah, well, um, how do people go about getting them now? What's your distribution like? And Do you sell online? What do you do? Yeah, good question. Um yeah, we for people locally or people traveling to Colorado, they can they can visit us um, in Palisade at our winery um, at 202 Peach Avenue. Um, I'm just sitting in a thunderstorm right now. I don't know if you can hear that, but um, yeah, for for people on the front range, they can find us at, at local liquor stores and restaurants. And then for for people out of state, yes, you can go to our website, theordinaryfellow.com, and we can ship to 42 states using uh, Vino Shipper. And, um, yeah, we have, I think, six wines available for sale um, out of state right now. We also have a, a wine club, which um, is a quarterly subscription-based model where you could sign up for free six or 12 bottles per quarter and and get limited release wines that we only made for the wine club. Like we have a Syrah that's about to come out and a Petit Verdot, which is also about to come out, which is exclusively kind of wine club only wines, which is kind of fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Well, you have a, a, a pretty broad um, range of, of, of product, actually. I mean, this, how many different kinds do you make altogether? Well, um, I think I have roughly eight wines right now. Um, like running through them would be a Riesling, uh, Rosé, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, uh, my red Pinot Noir, uh, a Cabernet Sauvignon, and then two sparkling wines. One is uh, a Mecca Champagne Noir, Blanc de Noir, uh, with, uh, made from Pinot Noir, and the other is actually one I made in Washington State, um, through from the Hall Seven Hills, which is a um, sparkling rosé of Chardonnay, Syrah, and Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, have you, have you ever come across a character called Charles Smith? Oh, yeah, of course, yep. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> it was the guy we met at the Pittsburgh Wine Festival, you remember? And we, yeah. we, we asked him what he did before he made wine, and he said he managed a rock group. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've uh, I've met him a few times. He was up at Aspen Food and Wine this uh-huh. year. Um, and then uh, a good friend of his who he, he's made wine with, Charles Beeler, is a friend of mine. And... Um, yeah, so those two make the brand Charles and Charles um, right, collectively. Right. But um, yeah, Charles Smith obviously makes some um, cave and stuff, and and uh, formerly house wines. And um, uh, I think maybe he sold Kung Fu Girl and all those wines to to a larger he, company. He, he sold his entire entire business at some at one point, and then, he, and then he started and then he started up again. Yeah, yeah. Well, they make some fantastic wines. I think he's he's uh, right now his kind of pet project is trying to prove that you can grow Pinot Noir in Washington State. Where? In Washington State. In Washington. Oh, right. Yeah. Which wow. you ought, which you ought to be able to do. I mean, right? I mean, yeah. You, you remember our, our our favorite Oregon wine, Elk Elk Cove. Yeah. We like we, we 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 belonged to the wine club for quite a while, and then and, we, and then we got fired. <laughs> no. <laughs> they fired you from the wine club, huh? They, 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 well, the the the, the, Pis, the Pennsylvania Liquor Control Board was the oh, actual instrument. So hard, that was yeah. the instrument of the firing. But but Crazy. I'll tell you a fun, funny story. We 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 actually were on on the vineyard on one of, one of our visits, and actually talking to the son of the owner. The owner was a was a physician. Hmm. Practicing, practicing in Oregon, but, but but he liked wine, and so Dr. Campbell decided he was going to continue to make wine. And the story goes that his his wife took him on one side and said, "Now, tell me how many Oregon wines you've actually drunk." And he, he said the answer the answer was zero. Um, yeah well you know I guess everybody's facing a different future though with climate change I mean um, I don't know how um, you know winemakers get around that not knowing what's coming around down the pike hey what do you think of they're growing champagne grapes in England (laughs) 
I yeah, I love that. Like, um, yeah, I mean, obviously being from uh, England and being from Kent, that's where a lot of those grapes are grown. Exactly, um, that's why it's all going to be Definitely, like um, some exceptional, like sparkling wines coming out of there, and even some very like good um, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir as well. Um, you know, with a couple of degrees rise in temperature, it's it's become um, you know suited to certainly growing um, grapes for sparkling production, and in good years, um, yeah, for even in regular Chardonnay and, and Pinot. But yeah, I mean, there's some great producers there, and you know, that's certainly uh, like marginal frontier uh, winemaking territory as well. And um, now tell, tell me you're going to arrange an event like the taste-off between French and British wines. No, French and, <laughs> French and California wines. In what's uh-huh. called the judgment, the judgment of Paris. Yeah. That's a, yeah, should, a big good idea, a little blind tasting. I think you should have one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's a good well, idea. I should do that. Well, Ben, I mean, it's always fun to talk to winemakers because they're so varied. There's so many of them. Um, you know, I mean, I think we went to a party once in um, California. I can't remember where it was. But um, the, the winemakers socialize with each other. And, and they they had a party, and you go around. One was a, an ex football player. Another one was a hospital hospital administrator. Another one was something else. It's such a varied group, and it was really fun. So you must was, have fun. There was a Frenchman in there too. Yeah, the, he got tired of the um, the rules surrounding um, was it Burgundy or Bordeaux. I forget. And, and he left France and went to California. So, Well, Ben, it's been a delight to, to uh, sample your wines and to talk to you about them. And listeners, again, open your eyes to the possibility here of, of, of a slightly different uh, approach to winemaking because um, we've been talking to Ben Parsons, who is a very open-minded um, vintner, and the uh, the it's the the ordinary fellow named after um, a British pub in his hometown, and you can go online and and order it and try these wonderful wines. I think you'll find a whole new bright spot in your your wine service. Let, sweetheart, let, let's let's sign off with Ben letting everyone know about the Infinite Monkey Theorem. The what? Yeah, so, um, go, go, yeah, the Infinite ben, ben Monkey Theorem was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a winery I started in 2008 in Denver, an urban winery, and, and we were the first winery in the U.S. to really embrace, like, canned wine uh, packaging, alternate packaging, and um, uh, we were the first winery in the U.S. to put wine in a 250-mil can size after the uh, the patent had run out for the for Red Bull to oh, nice. use that can size and yeah so um, yeah we really made that kind of packaging cool I think and then uh, kind of paved the way for for many uh, people to to start putting their wine in cans and really um, embracing kind of that outdoor like use occasion that um, 
the cans can be uh, really kind of perfect for. But 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 the infinite, the infinite theorem says that if you if you gave monkeys enough. Yeah, if you sat a monkey at a typewriter okay. and it had an infinite amount of time, it would type the entire works of Shakespeare. That's the uh, <laughs> the abbreviated version. <laughs> Very abbreviated. Well, we 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 can we can picture you staring at a California sunset and thinking about what to do next. I'm sure. Colorado <laughs> sunset. What, what, whatever it is, it'll be no. He's, he's looking left, sweetheart, which is oh, okay. California. Okay. You, you got, you've got to get your geography right, right? Well, I'm, you know, <laughs> that's not my strong voice. Okay, Ben. <laughs> Thank you. Be, be Thank good you so much, Ben. Have a good Bye-bye. one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Yes, listeners, we're talking to Simone Fiore of La Genesia, um, an Italian winery, and and he's located in um, uh, Lombardy, no? Cotevilla. Yeah, Oltre uh, Portavilla. Okay, and you're going to be talking to us about um, your wine, uh, La Genesia. Um, and tell us a little bit about the company. Okay. <clears throat> So um, now they, they, we have about 70 hectares of vineyard. Uh, it's a quite new winery, winery uh, located in the Oltrepo area. That was a, a historical, one of the most important historically in uh, here winery region here in Italy. Uh-huh. It's um, our goal. It's on the Pinot Noir. Okay. And uh, uh-huh. we are the third region in, in Europe uh, for dimension of um, actors uh, in, in, in Pinot Noir, okay? Uh, that was right. Champagne, uh, Burgundy, and uh, the third region for dimension for the, for the number of actors, it's uh, Oltre Papavese, yeah, our zone. <laughs> Your wife's uh, making a comment. Your wife, I should point out, is also on the line with us. Um, um how do you, I mean, what is your, your wife's name? Uh, oh, well, Clara. Clara, okay. Clara. My, my wife, is, uh, the name of her is Clara, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, and, and okay. she's going to help us interpret some of this, but you're doing fine. As I said, it's, it's, your, your English is not as rusty as my Italian is these days, since we haven't been there for a while. <laughs> um, okay, but okay. He, he, he's not near, Rabbit. He's not near the um, the king of Colatella. I don't, I don't know that. And and is re- re- reminding me, as I reminded her earlier on, that we that we had been somewhere in generally in this region. Near, near the River Po, 
and and we were yeah. visiting yeah, yeah. some we were, we were visiting someone who makes Colatello and he called himself the Prince of Colatello. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we, this, this, uh, when when did you come uh, here? Uh, we we've, we've been many times. It yeah. was probably it was probably about ten years ago that we that we that we came to this particular region. But and, no, and we we yeah, love yeah. Italy, and yeah, and and we understand that. Um, I mean, it's a natural growing wine and having vineyards in in Italy. But you are also in the process of expanding your market to the United States. We understand. Yeah, we are quite new with this approach. So, um, uh, sorry, but I have a uh, um, uh, wait one second. Yeah. Clara. No, wait, wait one second. Um, uh, okay. And Aspettiamo. <laughs> so, uh, what <laughs> so, uh, do you want to know uh, how we put in the market in U.S. market our winery? Mm-hmm. Yes, please. And, and we, I'd like to talk okay. to you about your 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 choice your choice of fruit is is interesting. We have we have seen and drunk. Pinot Noir before in Italy, but not very much. So there must have been so, a reason that you headed in that direction. Yeah, since when, when you came here, since when you came here, here the, the, the situation is uh, uh, it changed. Uh, okay. And Pinot Noir has always been a, a fascinating grape variety, uh, and all, all we know. Uh, the complexity and the versatility of this um, variety. Uh, and here in Notre Popovese, Pinot Noir arrives from France, and uh, to pioneers like Gancha or Vistarino that uh, import Pinot Noir here in this area, and uh, they recognize, recognize the, the, the quality of, the, 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 of this region and uh, choose this region to place uh, Pinot Noir and cultivate it. Uh, so uh, here it's a historic, the, the, um, uh, historical uh, fact that in Oltre uh, Popovese was born the uh, Champagne method Italian in Italy, okay? The Metodo Classico, right. it was, was born here in, in this area uh, from Pinot Noir. And um, uh, unfortunately, now the situation is uh, a little bit changed from 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 the past, and uh, because uh, a lot of agriculture uh, um, uh, take uh, yeah, the people here in, in this area are farmer, no, not industry, not uh, the in. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not use uh, white making, white making. Uh, right. So now with the new, the new generation, uh, uh, the, the 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 situation are changing. 
okay. we are trying to, uh, to create a new method of production uh, using the technology and uh, using the, um, the capacity to, uh, um, to uh, um, yeah, to, to manage the vineyard. And uh, yeah. the result, the result is, it, it was coming, it was uh, arriving, uh, coming. And uh, we are hopeful for this. No, um, tell me this. Um, are you in an area, Simone, that would be affected by um, the climate change? Yeah, a lot. The, um, the situation is changing uh, also uh, for this reason. Uh, the full rain, uh, uh, the rain falls, it's uh, uh-huh. decreasing, uh, decreasing, and the temperature is uh, um, becoming high. This is really? Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> for, 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 the, for, for, the, for, for this reason, uh, the, the, the harvest... Uh, um, are, are always uh, earlier, and uh, we are fight with this uh, with this situation in in Pania. So we put uh, rootstock more uh, uh, more resistant uh, to, to this uh, to this situation, and uh, we are trying to manage the vineyard to compensate. Uh, this situation. Huh. Now, where, where, where are you sourcing the vines? I mean, the grapes. When, when it comes when it comes right down to it, what 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 makes the wine is really the is really the the plants and the grapes. The grapes. <laughs> so, so. What? Yeah, no, the dove, the dove, uh, the fruta. The dove. The, the dove. Uh, the dove la fruta. No, no, in English, in English, in English. Speak low and clear, and I, and I, I understand. <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you are growing all of your own fruit. Yeah, we have uh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, we are a, a, a seller, uh, a winery that uh, we have our vineyard. Our vineyard are not uh, um, um, of our uh, our um, own. We have uh, a lot of uh, farmers that are associated with us, and uh, it and they uh, bring the grapes to us. Okay. Okay. Uh, so it's sort of, it's sort of like a like a uh, a, reverse, a reverse cooperative. Yeah. 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 Okay. It is. And uh, during the time uh, we are selected, uh, uh, so Genesia it's burn it's burn from uh, another winery uh, that was that is uh, Torrevilla. Uh, so Torrevilla is the main winery, and Genesia is a selection of uh, vineyards okay. uh, with uh, a selected farmer. Uh, we have a project uh, that um, with um, in condivision with the University of Milan. Uh, oh, really? With the university, 
Yeah, we, with the university, we are we we studied uh, all our vineyards, and uh, uh, at the end of the study, we select uh, uh, the, the good one. Uh, yeah, the vineyard that is the best uh, with the best capacity to produce uh, Pinot Noir, sparkling wine, and uh, Pinot Noir in red. Okay. Now, now you 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 are the winemaker. Or not? Yeah, yeah, I'm the way maker. How long have you I'm the way maker. done? For how long? How, I how long? Arrived in, uh, I, yeah, yeah. I arrived in, uh, in Tunisia uh, in uh, 2017. Okay. Uh -huh. um, and, uh, okay. Um, and do you know uh, Joe Bastianich? <laughs> yes. He's <laughs> <you> laughing. <laughs> I know him too, so I know a little bit why you're laughing. Go ahead. <laughs> no, it was. Uh, no, he, he is a, a good chef and a wine producer here in Italy. He produces uh, Ribolla in uh, in Friuli. Right, right. He's 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 further to the east, right, than you are. Pardon? Pardon? We Joe, we Joe's, stay Joe's vineyard, at the your Joe's vineyards are further to the east than where you are. They're in Friuli. Yeah. Well, no, um, uh, yeah, 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 more east, more east, yeah, more east. We have Friuli is the extremely east of Italy. We are right, in right. the northwest, northwest of Italy, uh, right um, between Piedmont. Okay, Be between Piedmont. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And, uh, see, ne next to Piedmont, next to Piemonte, next to Piemonte. You know, we, we notice a lot of um, development in um, Sicilian wines. I think that we may have somebody coming and talking to us about the evolution of Sicilian wines. Um, we, we know the people at Planeta very well. Uh, okay, um, because Oltre Popovese is a, is a quite new wine uh, uh, region. Uh, so we start uh, after than the others uh, to produce uh, Quality wine and no, no, <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, no, and uh, we have uh, we, we are starting now. Uh, Sorry, I try I try to explain it better. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. Sure, yes. And you're Clara. Yeah. Uh, what, what Simone is trying to say is that uh, Oltre Popovese it, it always has been um, a, wine, uh, a wine producing area, but uh, instead of the others, uh, Oltre Popovese always sold the, the grapes to other parts of uh, uh, Italian winemaking areas instead of producing got it, wine. Yeah, got it. For, for this reason, yeah, for this reason. Uh, you never heard about Oltre Popovese wines uh, 
but during the last years, fortunately, the new generation and also like uh, Simone and La Genesia are trying to uh, change this kind of aspect. So uh, they, they are more concentrated on winemaking and new technologies also because, I mean, uh, sparkling wine is a very technical kind of wine. So you really need a lot of knowledge in doing it. So right. uh, that's why you never, I mean, it's difficult for abroad people uh, knowing something about uh, uh, Pinot Noir of Oltre Popavese. They are always used to uh, Pinot Noir, for example, from um, uh, Alto Adige. Or, sure. Uh, sure, yeah. yeah, yeah, or Francia maybe sparkling wine. But actually, thanks to Gancia and Conte Vistarino, uh, Oltre Popavese has always been uh, the first, the main wine region producing for Pinot Noir for and for, for the sparkling wine. But uh, unfortunately, people from here uh, have, uh, let's say, a farmer um, way, uh, uh, way of thinking. So they never uh -huh. uh, thought that with that grape could make something really good. I see. Well, that's, that's what reminded me of Sicily, Sicilia, because they had ordinary wines yeah. until, until, yeah, definitely. Definitely. until they decided. Especially, especially on Etna, especially on, on the Vulcan Etna. Now uh -huh. the, the things are really right. changing. Because yeah, people, the Etna is in the other part of was cultivating vines on the on the Vulcan, but now everybody does. So, right. So, yeah, but we've we've been to Planeta and it was. they made a they made a decision on on purpose yes. to go yes. from a very accessible yes. table wine to fine wines. And that's what they did. They yes. turned to a whole different development. And, and, that's, and that's what is happening here, actually. But right, it's a right, long right. way. Also because, I mean, uh, Sicilian uh, are, um, viticulture are area is mm -hmm. uh, much more small than Oltre Popavese. So mm -hmm. it's much more easy for them to join um, something, you know, uh, Something that everybody, I mean, it's much more easy for them to um, stay united, uh -huh. if that's for us. I mean, here in the, uh, the, uh, the, the extension of the vineyards is so huge that uh, it's very hard to keep everybody together, yeah. just join well, we, a goal. We were on a wine tour of the um, of, of Tuscan vineyards, and um, we did a, a joint. Um, everybody included. Uh, we recorded an interview, and the the young generation sat on one side of the room, and the older generation sat on the other side of the room, mm -hmm. and they disagreed yeah. on everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's a really classic thing, usually. <laughs> now, yeah. Now, how, how are you it's going to... It's a matter of generation. <laughs> how, 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 are you, 
How are you going well, to introduce actually, your wife? We, we hope to do better than the work that came before because, I mean, uh, we are definitely in love with this um, area. So, I mean, we can see the potential that it has. So it's a pity for us not to, you know, use it uh-huh. for doing something that actually other areas use us for to do the same. So, I mean, uh, the, the main point is why I have to sell the, the grape to other um, yeah, viticultural for, yeah. for other viticultural area that makes good wines with my grape. I do it my, by myself, and then exactly. I will see what's coming out. Yeah, right, but what was that woman that we interviewed um, in, in Puglia? Or was it Puglia? No, it was um, Lamarca. It was in Abruzzo. It's a woman winemaker. And, and her family had been making wine for years, but she decided to go and make her own wine and to make really good wine. Do you know who I mean? Ste- Stefania Pepe was yes. the name of the lady. Stefania Pepe. Pepe. But she changed her yeah. her family's whole structure to do a different kind of wine, and she did it herself using all the modern techniques. I mean, her grapes were moved around by gravity in the in the storage thing. She put the grapes on top, and then they slowly went down yeah. to yeah. But, and she used all the modern yeah, technology. You took away my microphone, so let me butt back in again. How, how, how are you going to proceed with your, with your plan to invade the United States market with your wines? Hmm. We are trying to, to export our, uh, our wine in the United States. Uh, there is no no more no not a lot of winery here to that uh, that export wine in U.S. Um, but um, we are we have hmm? sorry yeah I, the only way is to make it better uh, and try to every year we we make better every year. And uh, try to to communicate it uh, to communicate our wine uh, in your country. Wow! But you have a long way to go, huh? Yeah. But yeah. we we thought the wines <laughs> that you sent us were already very good. Thank you. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> What else did you want well, to I mean, ask? Also because Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir, making a sparkling wine, just using Pinot Noir 100% is not really easy because it's not as, uh, you know, easy to drink uh, like maybe other sparkling wines that are maybe done with <coughs> also 
some Chardonnay or Pinot Meunier inside. You know, they are much more, let's yeah. say, drinkable, maybe. At least in the, in the immediately. Pinot Noir needs time. I love Pinot Noir. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Pinot Noir. <laughs> Clara, you sound like you know how to make wine. It's difficult, it's difficult to produce a, a, a lovely Pinot Noir, no? Yeah, a perfect Pinot Noir, it's so difficult. So yes. everybody loves everybody love Pinot Noir, for, I, I think, for this reason. Yeah, yeah it's a variety that. that needs lots of care, both in the vineyard and in the cellar. Right. So, but um, it, you have a head start, but you have a long way to go to get everything to market, right? Pardon, uh, we couldn't hear you properly. Do that again. Yeah, I said you've made a lot of um, good forward movement, but you still have a way to go in order to produce enough to um, take over a U.S. market. Yeah, but Ultrapa is uh, a quite huge area. Um, in La Genesia, I have a great potential. Uh, we, are, we can produce uh, a, a lot of bottles of Pinot Noir, and we are trying to increase the, the number of bottles of quality wine in, uh, in order to export this product in the U.S., uh, now we have um, a little exportion. Um, uh, uh, we have a little exportion in um, uh, Oregon and uh, uh -huh. in uh, Washington. Washington State uh, or DC? DC or yeah, yeah, State? No, no, Washington State. Washington State. Washington State. Of course, they produce peanuts yeah, themselves. Yeah. yeah, they have a they have a market <laughs> yeah. already there. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. anything but else you, you wanted that, to ask, Rabbit? Uh, but from your point of view, uh, a Pinot Noir coming from Italy, sparkling Pinot Noir coming from Italy, isn't it appealing? Oh yes. To the U.S. market. Yeah, I think I, I think so. Yes, um, there's a very strong. Yeah market for um, um, uh, American um, Pinot, too, actually. But it's a... It's, yeah, it's a, we know some. We know it. Yeah. We so. also taste some very good Pinot from America. Oh, good. That's good. It's a fun community, huh? When are you coming to visit, Simone and Clara? <laughs> When you when you invite us. <laughs> no, I think it's better if you came here. So you can see yourself the develop we're doing here. Uh-huh. Well, we may do that. You, you never know. Yeah, we'll never know. Well, you're going on the list of people that we will let know if we're coming, Okay. Sure. For sure, yeah. Great. And if people, if people want to find your wine, w would they be able to go through a website? Yeah, uh, it's uh, www.lagenesia.com. 
That's easy, right? Yeah, 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 it's easy. <laughs> okay. It's, uh, we, yeah, next month, we are opening a new uh, wine shop here in Cote Villa. We, restructure, we do a, a big restructuration um, on uh, the, old cell, the old winery. And uh, we uh, attend a lot of uh, tourists. Oh, we, we are waiting a lot of, uh, for a lot of for, for a lot of tourists. So, oh, good. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, if you that's... come in uh, near 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 Milan, uh, we attend you. <laughs> Sounds <waiting> good. You. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Well, much much luck and success for you both, and um, it, you're you're much braver with your language than than we are. So. <laughs> Um, we're, we're due for a trip. We're, we're due for a trip to, to Italy. So, um, anyhow, yeah, good good luck with your rollout and keep us posted. So, thank yes, you. For sure. For sure. Thank you. Have a nice day. You too. I want to say thank Ciao. you. Ciao. 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 <laughs>